0: Chapter Thirty Eight of the Turn of the Tide. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Holly Robinson. Chapter Thirty Eight of the Turn of the Tide by Elinor H. Porter. Tuesday was a day that was not soon forgotten at the mills. Scarcely waiting for the smoking timbers to cool, swarms of workmen attacked the ruins and attempted to clear their way to the point where spencer and mcginnis had last been seen fortunately the portion of the building had only been touched by the fire and it was evident that the floors and roof had been carried down with the fall those nearest to it for this reason there was more hope of finding the bodies unharmed by fire perhaps even of finding a spark of life in one or both of them this last hope however was sorrowfully abandoned when hour after hour passed with no sign of the missing men all night they worked by the aid of numerous electric lights hastily placed to illuminate the scene and when wednesday morning came a new shift of workers took up the task that had come to be now merely a search for the dead so convinced was every one of this that the men gazed with blanched faces into each other's eyes when there came a distinct rapping on a projecting timber near them In the dazed silence that followed, a faint cry came from beneath their feet. With a shout and a ringing cheer, the men fell to work. It was no ghost, but a living human voice that had called. They labored more cautiously now, lest their very zeal for rescue should bring defeat in the shape of falling brick or timber. Ned Spencer, who had not left the mills all night, heard the cheer and hurried forward. It was he who, when the men paused again, called, "'Frank!' are you there? Yes, Ned. The voice was faint, but distinctly audible. And McGinnis? There was a moment's hesitation. The listeners held their breath. Perhaps, after all, they had been dreaming, and there was no voice. Then it came again. Yes, he's lying beside me, but he's unconscious, or dead. The last word was almost inaudible. So faint was it. But the tightening of Ned's lips showed that he heard it none the less in a moment he stooped again keep up your courage old fellow we'll have you out of that soon then he stepped aside and gave the signal for the men to fall to work again rapidly eagerly but oh so cautiously they worked at the next pause the voice was near so near that they could drop through a small hole a rubber tube four feet long lowering it until spencer could put it to his mouth Through this tube he was giving a stimulant and a cup of strong coffee. They learned then a little more of what had happened. The two men were on the fourth floor when the crash came. They had been swept down and had been caught between the timbers in such a way that as they lay where they had been flung, a roof three feet above their heads supported the crushing weight above. Spencer could remember nothing after the first crash until he regained consciousness long afterward and heard the workmen far above him. It was then that he had tapped his signal on the projecting timber. He had tapped three times before he had been heard. At first it was dark, he said, and he could not see, but he knew that McGinnis was near him. McGinnis had spoken once, then had apparently dropped into unconsciousness. At all events, he had said nothing since. Still, Spencer did not think he was dead. Once more the rescuers fell to work, "'and it was then that Ned Spencer hurried away "'to send a message of hope and comfort to Mrs. Meredith, "'who had long since left the great house on the hill "'and had come down to the mill-house to be with Margaret. "'To Margaret Ned wrote the one word, "'Come, as he had expected. "'He had not long to wait. "'You found him!' cried the girl, hurrying toward him. "'Ned, he isn't dead!' "'Ned smiled and put out a steadying hand. "'We hope not.' But he is unconscious margaret don't get your hopes too high i had to send for you i thought you ought to know what we know but where is he have you seen him ned shook his head no but frank says frank you said frank was unconscious no no they aren't both unconscious it is only mcginnis it is frank who told us the story he why margaret but margaret was gone and as ned watched her flying form disappear towards the mill house, he wondered if after all the last hours of horror had turned her brain in no other way could he account for her words and for this most extraordinary flight just at the critical moment when she might learn the best and the worst of what had come to her lover to ned it seemed that the girl must be mad he could not know that in margaret's little room of the mill house, some minutes later a girl went down to her knees and sobbed to think that twasn't bobby at all I was thinking of, twasn't bobby at all, twas never bobby that had my first thought, twas always, even to herself, margaret would not say the name, and only her sobs finished the sentence. End of chapter thirty eight.